Sing with me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Father, anoint us. Remind us what this weekend is all about. Father, you are raised, you are raised again and you are alive and ready to take us home to be with you. Praise be to our God from now until eternity. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, probably most of you do not recognize this name unless you have sat through one of his seminars, which I had, a, had the opportunity to do that. Is the name Gerald, and I hope I pronounce it right, but Benajab. Does anybody recognize that name, Gerald? Babenajab. So Gerald was invited to speak at my previous church concerning Muslim Adventist relations. And who Gerald is, because I'm going to say it's so much easier to say his first name, is he is the he is the director of Muslim outreach for the Pacific Union Conference. Of the North American, in the North American Division, but he also works with the North American Division of Muslim Adventist Relations. And he said, there were lots of things he said as we talked, because we had a small forum and then he presented in front of the whole church. So some of us got to ask him some questions. And he said, there was one time where he sat at a table, the Adventists in, in our nation's capital were invited to a local mosque, a fairly big mosque, and there was a fairly big-named imam that was, ahead of, was the head of that mosque, and, and he was supposed to sit at the same table as Gerald and some of these church leaders. But probably ignorantly, as many of us do, because we watch the media and these things, some of, and this was post-9-11, some of the the church leaders were a little bit nervous. And they were talking about, talking to themselves, you know, amongst their group and saying, I hope that we're safe here. And Gerald overheard this. By the way, Gerald grew up in Iran. He came, he moved here, I think, when he was about to start high school in 1979. And so uh, he grew up Muslim, converted, now was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, now a music minister and, a, and also a, a relations minister between the two. And he said in his head, we need to teach these guys. So when the imam finally came, he said, excuse me, sir, almost ignorantly, you know, pretending. He said, do you guys believe in Jesus? And the imam's face lit up. He said, of course. And he said, really? Who is he? 
Well, he's a great prophet. Okay. Well, where is he? Well, he's in heaven. And, you know, he's, he's, he's putting shock on his face, you know, pretending. He said, well, what is he doing in heaven? And he said, the imam said, well, I don't know. He's probably enjoying himself. <laughs> and so he said, well, how about Muhammad? Where is he? Muhammad's in the grave. Well, who is Muhammad? He is the great prophet. What is he doing? And he said, where all of their faces changed, he said, he is waiting for Jesus to come back for him. A Muslim imam said that Muhammad was waiting for Jesus to resurrect him. We are not the only ones waiting for resurrection. Whether they know it or not, people want resurrection. And they speak it within religions. They speak of it different ways. But resurrection is our hope. If Jesus stayed in the grave, according to Paul, which we will read in a minute, then we're still in our sins. So, as you know, I love words. And I'm not going to put them up because this is more of a sermonette than, a, than an actual sermon. But resurrection, and granted, you must forgive me, I did not take Latin. Some of you might have, and they might have offered it in school when you were in school, but I am very young so uh, they did not offer it when I went to school. It was Spanish and French. I also went to a smaller public high school. So Latin, the, the etymology of resurrection believes to come from a Latin word, which was resurrectionem. And I probably have the wrong accent on there. But it, it's believed that its root word is resurgere, where we get the, re, the word resurgence. And what it literally means is to rise again or appear again or to stand up again. Well, that's one theory. There's actually another theory of where this word comes from, and I thought it was actually even more interesting because that's an obvious theory. But do you know, if you break the word down, resurrection, re Sure, rect, shun. Re is again. Sure means without a doubt. And rect means true or right. Hence the word rectify, to make right. And so there are people that believe that the etymology of this comes from what would be made to make right without a doubt. There is absolutely no doubt that we will be made right again. Actually, the, the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis. Can you say anastasis? Which I'm assuming, I did not look this up, but anastasis, I'm assuming that's where the name Anastasia comes from. 
Well, the root of this is anastemi, which is used in the Old Testament. Now, resurrection, the word resurrection is only a New Testament word, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have Old Testament flowings through. And this word is used, if you, if you want to look in your, in your sword, it's at the very beginning, Genesis 9, verse 9. I'm not really going to give you the time to look, but, but if you want to search it, Genesis 9, 9, first book of the Bible, ninth chapter, ninth verse. And it says this, and in the Septuagint, it uses this anastemi as the word. If you know what the Septuagint is, it, it was a Greek translation of the Hebrew text. And it says this, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. What do you think the word anastemi is in English there? I, I think I heard somebody say it. Not covenant. Now, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Establish. Because the word anastemi, which is translating a word called tekuma, means to establish firm. So the word resurrection comes from a word that means firm, established, foundational, cannot be moved. It is absolutely, without a doubt, sure. Because if God establishes it, can you move it? No. Actually, that word kum also means rise. Have you ever, do you remember it in uh, the story where he's talking to Jairus' daughter who is laying there lifeless, and he says, Talitha kum. Little girl, get up. You've heard it before. If you've read the text, Talitha Kum, rise again, and the gates of hell will shake because there is, no, there is nothing that can hold down life if God establishes it to happen again. I mean, if you think about it, if you go back to our, our scripture reading, it says this. And I'm going to read just a couple extra verses there. He says, men of Israel, this is in Acts chapter 2, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God by, to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. By the way, could you imagine accusing these people and you handed him over to death. But God, who is opposite of you right now in this context, raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Isn't that a powerful statement? It was impossible. It doesn't matter if all the demons and all of, all of Satan's confederates jump on that grave. It was impossible to hold him down. 
That is what we have to look forward to. So we go to flip a few pages to just read a few texts from from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is probably the preeminent resurrection chapter. Chapter 15, starting with verse 12. And he says this, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Meaning of us. If he's resurrected, why are you doubting that we'll be resurrected? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been, resurrect, has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, so, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He's really hammering this thing. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If he wasn't raised and there's no resurrection, then it's useless to be in here. Actually, this is what I think the shortcoming is with the idea of Passover. Passover is biblical. But the idea of Passover, in a sense, was supposed to be a resurrection that was coming a new life for the Israelites. But still many Jews did not believe in an actual resurrection to eternal life. And Jesus came and said, no. There will be something that is not just national, but is global. And where the enemies The armies of hell will try to keep us down, but we will rise again to life eternal. And in verse 20 of chapter 15, we're going to stay in here for our last couple of verses. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning everybody that has died and who has clung to hope in God. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come. When we hand over the kingdom of God to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has wait, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is what? 
death. It's not actually Satan. The last enemy is death. And then in verse 50, as he sums this up, he says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that has been written will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is our hope. We will be changed. There will be no more glasses, no more hearing aids, no more walkers. We will be changed. And as God told Moses to tell to Aaron to tell to the people, Yavareka Adonai Vayishmareka, Yaer Adonai Panavalecha Vichuneka, Yesa Adonai Panavalecha Vayasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Father, remind us daily, put within our hearts the anticipation of your soon return because. The grave could not hold you. Lord, we also have this hope that the grave will not hold us. You are more powerful than anything. Lord, come soon. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody.